going to talk about two different types of revival in the Old Testament and how these two different types of revival impacted worship, how it resulted in worship. And so that's important for us to understand. We, we're going to look at the revival under Josiah, and then we'll look at the revival under Haggai. I'm Celeste Montague. Welcome to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona, featuring the teaching of senior pastor Dr. Kevin Shaw. Dare to Stand is on the radio to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will listen, to carefully teach the truth of God's Word, and to encourage a healthy lifestyle of worshiping and honoring God. For more details about Dare to Stand or the ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church, please visit www.daretostand.org or call the church at 623-581-3115. You can receive a free MP3 copy of today's message or the entire series in MP3 format for a small fee by contacting the church. Today we continue our study with Dr. Shaw on the subject of worship. The Lord has much to say throughout the Bible about how we are to worship Him. With our hearts, not just our outward ceremonies, by remembering what He has done for us. Today, Dr. Shaw brings us part one of a message titled, Revival and Worship. As Dr. Shaw shares two very significant times of spiritual revival in the Bible and how those revivals affected the worship of God. Here's Dr. Kevin Shaw to begin with a passage of scripture from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. When have I heard a message from 2 Chronicles? Well, you're going to hear one today. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. We're in the subject of worship. We're going to deal with the relationship today between revival and worship. Revival and worship. Second Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God the God of, his, of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you bless your word. I pray as we seek to understand the nature of true worship, we'll look at uh, the nature of our own hearts and what happens in our hearts and what happens as a result of true revival. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you grew up in fundamentalism, Right? You grew up in Baptist churches, you say, we're going to have a revival, we're going to have evangelistic meetings. And if you, if you grew up in it, it always crossed your mind, well, which? Are we going to have evangelistic meetings or are going to have a revival? Because in our brains, they're, they're two different things. Now, I would suggest to you that the answer here could be, you know, which is it? It could be both. And we'll, so we're going to talk about two different types of revival in the Old Testament and how these two different types of revival impacted worship, 
how it resulted in worship. And so that's important for us to understand. We, we're going to look at the revival under Josiah, and then we'll look at the revival under Haggai, the two different ones. And when we look at the revival under Josiah, we look at a revival from corruption, and under Haggai, a revival from complacency. So we have complacency with Haggai, corruption with Josiah. So let's start. Let's just start with the revival from corruption under Josiah. And, and if we're going to start with the revival of corruption from corruption under Josiah, it's important for us to understand uh, here in, in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35, the condition in the land prior to this time. You had, uh, prior to this time, uh, terrible idolatry. If you could look back at ancient Israel and, and point out what might have been the high point spiritually high point of ancient Israel. To me, it was the day of the dedication of the temple under Solomon. I mean, it was just a magnificent time of rejoicing. It was this high point. God had established the kingdom under, under David. The temple now is being built under Solomon, and it is, just, it is just this incredible moment. But in a short period of time, the nation began to decline, and the nation began to decline, first of all, because Solomon began to decline. If... Let's just step back for, for a moment. We say often that you get the type of leaders that you deserve, and that is true. We are looking at this particular election, and people in the United States of, of America are frustrated at the options that they have. The problem is, for us in the United States of America, when we look at these options, we're looking in the mirror. They look like us as a nation. We're a vulgar, corrupt, wicked people that need to be revived. The second thing, though, is this. Leaders do make a difference. And Solomon made a difference in the land. His sin led others in sin. And so we see from Solomon as he, he turns to the many wives and, and he turns to sin and ends up in idolatry himself. And the and begins this path of corruption. We see this corruption continue to, to, to go until people have this idolatry mixed with, with worship. You say, what, what was the appeal of idolatry in the Old Testament? Why would they go to serve idols when they could serve Jehovah God who, who delivered them out of the land of Egypt? Well, for, number one, the Jehovah God who delivered them out of Egypt, that was a long-distant memory. It was, it was way back. It would be similar to me asking you, does God send revival? Tell me about the revivals that happened. And most folks couldn't, couldn't say much about revivals or what God did or what miraculous works God has done in the past as it revived people's hearts. We, it just becomes sort of a, a foggy, distant memory. It didn't happen in our hearing. It didn't happen. It, it, they were stories that were told to us. Whereas idolatry fed present lusts. Remember, Old Testament idolatry was built on fornication um, and the lust of the flesh. It satisfied the lust of the moment, and that's why it was so popular. Uh, people sin. Steve Pettit's famous words, why do people sin? Because they like it. That's why people sin. They like it. And so, uh, th this was idolatry. We have then Manasseh, and the story of Manasseh, that's in the previous chapter, um, 2 Chronicles 34. You can read it. I'll just give you a little bit of the summary. The summary is this, that Manasseh 
lived wickedly and was taken into captivity. And while he was in captivity, he saw the depth of his sin, confessed his sin, and was restored to the kingdom. When he came back, he tried to restore the nation. He tried to tear down the idols. He tried to tear down the places of false worship. But the people were too entrenched, and they continued to worship in the high places. And so we had... What I've described here is the incomplete complete repentance of the people under Manasseh. I hesitate to say that because there's really no such thing as incomplete repentance. Does that make sense? It's either repentance or it's not. It's, it's sort of a false repentance, and that's what people do a lot of times. They sort of want to reform their life a little bit. And so, you know, I've been going the wrong way, and I know this is bad, and I know this is bad, and I know I shouldn't be doing that, so I'm going to clean it up around the edges, but I'm not going to change at my core. I'm going to continue doing the things that I have done before. And so that's what happened in Manasseh. Manasseh tried to make changes later in his life. There's a lesson for moms and dads with regard to this as well. You make changes later, but kids remember who you were. And Ammon, his son, continued in his sin. And so we have the incomplete repentance of the people in, uh, under Manasseh, but then the corruption and death of Ammon, and Ammon lived wickedly. And so then we come to chapter 34, verse 1, in which Josiah, at the ripe old age of eight years old, is made king. Now, certainly he, yeah, he didn't function as king at eight years old. There was someone who acted in his place until he could be of age where he became king. But, I, but the path to revival started with Josiah. Something happened in Josiah's life when he was 16 years old. I want you to notice in verse 4. It says, For, the, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God. I think about how many of my friends, myself included, had a significant spiritual experience in our teen years. King Josiah begins to seek the Lord at age 16, and Dr. Shaw will be back in a moment to explain more. You're listening to Dare to Stand with Dr. Kevin Shaw as we continue a study on the subject of worship and a message today called Revival and Worship. Dare to Stand is a radio outreach of Northwest Valley Baptist Church. You can link to the church at daretostand.org. Here's Dr. Shaw to give us a description of an addiction recovery ministry going on at his church, Northwest, called Freedom That Lasts. Hello, this is Kevin Shaw. Are you or someone you know dealing with the agony of an addiction? You cannot change what you do until you let God change who you are. Freedom That Lasts is a discipleship ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church that applies the life-transforming principles of the gospel and Christian growth to the problems of life-dominating sins and addictions. All of this happens in an atmosphere of love and accountability. If you would like to know more information about this important ministry, give us a call at 623-581-3115 or visit our website at daretostand.org. Go to the homepage and click the Discipleship Connections button. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. And if you or someone you love needs help with addiction recovery, please contact Northwest Valley Baptist Church today. And now, let's get back to our study and more about young King Josiah, 
who began to seek the Lord at age 16. Here's our teacher. I don't know what happened in Josiah's life at, at 16 years old. Maybe he just started to look. You know, he's, he's 16. God does change young people. Some of the greatest spiritual works are done with, in the hearts of young people in their late teen years especially. But something happened in the heart of Josiah. If, if this was in the New Testament context, we would say probably he got saved at 16 years old. That's really what seeking the Lord is. He sought the Lord. Now, he didn't have all the knowledge. He wasn't discipled. He didn't have all of the experience. I don't know if it was a person who was, who was encouraging him or he just... Uh, I, I don't know what it was, but something happened where there was this, this self-revelation, a, a sense of loathing at at the sin of the nation and what the nation had become and the failures of his father and the, the mixed message that he had gotten in the life of his grandfather and the, and the overwhelming sense of responsibility that would, would yet be his and, and the sense of idealism sometimes that comes with youth. And he begins to seek the Lord and it's a glorious thing. There's a self-revelation, but, but that seeking of God the wonderful thing about seeking of God that he began to act upon the seeking of God. It says, for in the eighth year of his reign, he's 16, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the Lord, the God of, his, of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah. You say, well, why four years later? Well, I think 16 is the time when the spiritual awakening is happening with him. 20 is probably when he started to actually function as king when he actually had opportunity to make a difference in the land. And the first thing he begins to do in the land is to get rid of the false worship. This is what's happened. This often is what happens in revival. We begin to see what's wrong, but we don't yet know very well what's right. We just know this is wrong. This shouldn't be. This shouldn't be. This is wrong. That, there, there's something that wells up within us. A, a, a work of the Holy Spirit that, that tells us that there's a problem. You'll never reach out for what's right until you realize that something's wrong. And so he begins to purge false worship. It says, beginning in verse 4, And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high. And he cut down the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And he break them into pieces and the dust of them. He strewed it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And he begins to get rid of the false worship, both the people and the practices. And, he's, and so now, as you're getting rid of the false worship, and he's doing so with great sacrifice, burning the idols and, and, and grinding the gold and getting rid of it all. It's a, it's a biblical principle. When you get rid of something, you have to replace it with something. So what do you begin to replace it with? Well, you attempt to replace it with true worship. And so what Josiah does, now isn't this interesting? The revival that is happening in the heart of Josiah and now spreading through the nation, started with one man, but it's spreading through the nation, is leading to what? Worship. This is our spiritual relationship. We have been dishonoring God with our worship and worshiping false gods and with our lifestyle, with all of these things, and now I want to honor God. 
people get the idea. Revival is about doing bad and now doing good. Revival is about doing bad and having horrible consequences in our life. And now I want to do good and have God's blessing in my life. And so revival then becomes all about me. When revival really is about worship, it's about honoring Him. It's about pleasing Him at no matter what sacrifice it might be to me. I mean, burning the idols and grinding the idols down and getting rid of all of that stuff, that costs something. Isn't it amazing how people, you know, I I, I could change my life, but as long as it isn't financially damaging to me. Okay, I need to to get rid of my, uh, you know, my alcohol, so I better sell it or give it to somebody that can use it. Pour it down the drain. What do you care about how much it costs? All it is is poison for somebody else. We start thinking as if money, and that is part of the problem, money is our God. So they begin to establish true worship. And as they do so, we see in the next few verses, they begin work at restoring the temple in Jerusalem, which most likely had become a shambles by this time because it had been neglected. It, it stayed there. It was there. But there were all other kinds of places of false worship. Boy, when you see the pictures of, you go to England or even in the U.S. someplace and you see these churches that were once great places and they've just become, um, they become a shambles or used for, you know, you know, bought and used for mosques or stores or, you know, whatever. It, it, just, it just breaks your heart. It must have been a similar type of, situation the temple had just become become run down and so they began this process of building the temple because revival inspires worship but they're doing it blindly now what we'll find later on in this text you all know the story if you, if you know it from Sunday school you grew up this story from Sunday school they they don't find until later the book of the law of God which to me seems so strange how how do you function in Old Testament Judaism without Leviticus? How do you do it without Deuteronomy? And that's the indication in this text is that they had completely forgotten about Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, the books of the law that give them all the instruction on worship. Well, how are they doing it? Well, this is probably how it went. Well, you know, we need to reestablish worship in the temple and we're, we're building the temple. Now, how do you think this should look? Well, I'm trying to remember what my grandfather said. He said it, should, it was kind of like this and they did this. And, and, well, how do you think we're going to do this, you know, these worship practices? Well, I, I, you know, and so they're trying to think to the past to remember how it was done in the past, but they're also thinking the present, what makes most sense to them in the present. Uh, being, you know, they're just trying to figure it out on their own. You know, there's only so far you can go in the Christian life trying to figure it out on your own. So they're doing it blindly. I think sincerely, obviously sincerely, but they're, on, they're doing it on their own terms because they have no presence of the Word of God. They're doing, I mean, there's great effort, there's great giving, but there's, the, the Word isn't there. They're doing it in ignorance. But then God reveals His Word. Verse 14, And when they brought out the money, that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest, found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. 
And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All that was commanded, committed to thy servants, they do it. Okay, we're doing everything that you asked us to do. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and they have delivered it unto the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. You're doing the best you can, but then you come into confrontation with the book. And the book does something different to us. The book shows us what we are, not what we think we are. It's an old preacher. When I was a kid, I still remember he signed his name in my Bible, and he put a cowboy hat next to his name when he signed his name. I'm trying to remember his name, can't remember his name at the moment. He said, I'll never forget this, what he said. He said, I'd like to buy some Christians for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth. Our estimation of ourselves is sometimes a lot different. If we, if we were to put a, a picture up here on the screen of what you look like in your own mind, it's probably five to ten years old, isn't it? Well, Pastor Shaw will come back in a moment with a modern-day illustration of what it means to get a glimpse of what we really look like compared to what we think we look like thanks to the cameras at a Walmart. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry outreach of Northwest Valley Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona, where our teacher, Dr. Kevin Shaw, serves as senior pastor. Northwest Valley Baptist Church is located at 4030 West Yorkshire Drive in Glendale. That's just south of the 101 at 40th Avenue. Come visit our new worship center. Sunday worship service is at 9.30 a.m. Adult Bible studies and Sunday school for all ages are at 11 a.m. And Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. Child care is provided for all services. Wednesday evening activities include prayer meetings, children's and teens programs. Northwest Valley Baptist Church also offers a quality traditional Christian education for your children, grades K through 12, at Arrowhead Christian Academy, located right on the church property at 40th Avenue and Yorkshire Drive. For more details about the church, kids' programs, this radio broadcast, or to register your kids for Arrowhead Christian Academy, please visit www.daretostand.org or call 623-581-3115. If you enjoy listening to Dr. Shaw's teaching, please visit our website and find out more about the church. You can also support Dare to Stand with a tax-deductible donation of any amount on our secure website at daretostand.org. We gladly offer free MP3 copies of Dr. Shaw's teaching, and we would be honored to minister to you personally and help you in any way we can. Please call the church at 623-581-3115 today. Join us for Sunday morning services at 9.30 a.m. and Sunday evening discipleship at 6 p.m. You can also listen to Dare to Stand Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on this same radio station. I'm Celeste Montague. Join us again next time as we continue our study on the subject of worship. 
And now here's Dr. Shaw with a closing thought about seeing himself for how he really looked at a Walmart one day. We'll see you next time for more right here on Dare to Stand. Walmart grocery store right down here. I walk out there every once in a while. I don't know if they still have it because I've trained myself not to look up now. But they have the, the monitor up here that shows the security camera feed. So you can see it as you're walking out the store. There it is. You look up and you see yourself. The problem is that when you look up and you see yourself, the camera is back up here. Well, that's not a view I normally get of myself. And it, the first time I looked up there, it was rather shocking. We don't normally get a real view of ourselves.